this week's episode of Ask the RD with your hosts Laura Schoenfeld and Kelsey Mark Steiner, staff nutritionist at chriscresser.com. Laura is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in public health, and Kelsey is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in human nutrition and functional medicine. Laura and Kelsey will be answering your nutrition-related questions on the show. So remember to submit your questions through the online submission link at chriscresser.com. Before Laura and Kelsey come on the show, I want to remind you that this is just general advice and should not be used in place of medical advice from a licensed professional. Now let's begin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Ask the RD. I'm Laura and on the other end of the line is Kelsey. How are you doing this week, Kelsey? Doing pretty well. How about yourself, Laura? Good. I'm uh, just preparing to take my RD exam finally, so <laughs> hopefully the next time I'm on this show, it'll be actually legitimate Ask the RD. <laughs> right. Double RDs. Excellent. Yeah, we can change it to Ask the RDs, plural. Perfect. Well, good luck. Oh, thanks. All right. Well, you ready to get started with our first question? Yeah, and this one's for you. Cool. I would like to ask whether chia, flax, sunflower, and pumpkin seeds fall within the paleo diet. Can I harm my health by eating a few tablespoons of these seeds on a daily basis? I usually put them into a breakfast smoothie. Okay, so I actually think it's a really good habit to have a few nuts and seeds every day. And it's generally not something that will harm your health unless you have a condition that is sensitive to nuts and seeds, such as an autoimmune disease. And even though seeds are somewhat higher in omega-6 fats, they do have a lot of health benefits to them that I think make them worth eating. They're generally pretty high in a lot of different nutrients, and a few of them are really high in omega-3 fats. But we need to talk about the various nutritional benefits of eating seeds, since I think there is a slight misconception that they're not healthy for you because of their omega-6 content. And I do want to address the omega-3 issue because as many of our listeners probably know, the omega-3s that come from seeds is different than the omega-3 that comes from fatty fish and eggs and that kind of thing. So one of the major fats in these seeds is called alpha-linoleic acid, which is the plant form of omega-3, and it is an anti-inflammatory fat that does lower levels of C-reactive protein in the blood. And like I said, it's important to remember that Alpha-linoleic acid, which I'll refer to as ALA, is not the same thing as the omega-3 fats found in animal foods. So don't take this to mean that you can get the omega-3s that you need strictly from ALA. And Chris Masterjohn actually wrote a great series on the essential fatty acids, and he explains that too much ALA and also too much EPA, which comes from fish and fish oil and that kind of thing, it can actually interfere with the body's production and utilization of both arachidonic acid and DHA. So I don't recommend taking any supplements that have ALA in them or consuming handfuls and handfuls of seeds every day. And it's also important to remember that a diet high in linoleic acid also reduces the conversion of ALA to DHA, and that conversion is really what makes ALA something that's a, a healthy component of the diet, is that it can be converted in small amounts to DHA, which is a very important omega-3 fat. And while there is some linoleic acid in these seeds, most of our linoleic acid in the American diet actually comes from things like industrial seed oils such as soybean oil, corn oil, and safflower oil. So you definitely want to be avoiding these oils in order to get any of the benefits of the alpha-linoleic acid in the nuts and seeds. And I'll link to Chris's article in the show notes because it's pretty long and I can't summarize the whole thing in this podcast. 
but it's an important read because it's a, it's crucial to understand the different roles of the fats that we refer to as essential fatty acids. And he even asked the question whether or not these fatty acids should be called essential. However, there are many studies that show benefits to eating a diet rich in ALA. And I do think in the context of eating a well-rounded diet with lots of DHA-rich omega-3s from fatty fish and eggs, it, that including one or two servings per day of whole fresh seeds is fine and likely healthy for the general population. And in fact, I would guess that the main reason that a diet high in ALA is shown to be beneficial in population studies is because whole foods that are rich in ALA, like these seeds, really have a lot of other beneficial nutrients that would make them good choice for moderate consumption. So these seeds, and particularly pumpkin seeds, I think are probably the highest, but they all are high in minerals such as zinc, magnesium, iron, and manganese. And zinc is a really great immune booster, and it helps with skin health and hormone stability. And it's also crucial for blood cell production, muscle growth and anabolism, fertility, cardiovascular health, and lots of other conditions that require zinc to help the body heal. And it may even be protective against cancer. So zinc is a really important nutrient to get adequate amounts of, and these seeds do have about 10 to 20% of your daily needs in one ounce. And magnesium is another one of these crucial minerals, and there are so many roles that magnesium plays that it's difficult to even start explaining why we need adequate amounts of it. But magnesium is used in normal muscle and nerve function, proper immune function, heart rhythm maintenance, and building bones, among many other things that magnesium does. And pumpkin seeds have 150 milligrams in one ounce, which is about a third of the daily value. Um, yeah, and the daily value is at, I think, between 400 or 450 milligrams per day, which there's arguments that that's not enough for the majority of people. But, you know, 450, if you're getting that from your food and maybe you're taking a 400 milligram per day supplement, you should be getting enough. So, like I said, if you're if you're getting an ounce of these seeds in your smoothie, you'll be getting a third of what you potentially may need during the day. And manganese is another important mineral that's used in enzyme function, wound healing, and bone growth. And an ounce of pumpkin seeds is about 64% of your daily value. So, and you may even be surprised that pumpkin seeds and sesame seeds also have about 20% of the daily value for iron. And granted, this is non-heme iron, which may, may be absorbed differently and, you know, not used as well as heme iron found in animals, but you know, getting 20% of your daily value from these seeds is not so bad either. And like I said, you can get a lot of these minerals in other foods and particularly animal foods such as shellfish or liver and different types of meats. But I, I would like to point out that the high mineral content of seeds is probably one of their top benefits. And because it's important that people are getting a lot of these minerals on a daily basis, I do think that seeds can play a role in, you know, meeting your daily needs. So another compound found in seeds is something called lignans. And lignans are a type of phytoestrogen or plant compound that has an estrogen-like effect and antioxidant properties in the body. And lignans are found in sesame seeds and flax seeds primarily. It is somewhat controversial what the role of lignans is in human health, but there's a lot of there's a lot of experts that believe that lignans can help stabilize hormonal levels, especially high levels of estrogen because of their role in um, binding to estrogen receptors and acting far more weakly than the estrogen produced by the body. So blocking that 
that high level of estrogen coming from either the body itself or potentially xenobiotic estrogen, so estrogens that come from the the environment, from chemicals and that kind of thing. This can help reduce symptoms of PMS and menopause and may even potentially reduce the development of breast and prostate cancer. So these phytoestrogens are usually what people think of when they think of the main benefits of soy products. So I'd rather see someone eating the seeds to get their phytoestrogens as opposed to eating lots of soy. And again, lignans are not quite understood as far as what their ultimate health benefits are, but they are believed to be generally healthy for people that can tolerate them when consumed in food sources. So I would say that, you know, overall, a a moderate amount of seeds and getting lignans on a daily basis is probably a, a generally good idea for the healthy population. And seeds are also rich in antioxidants. So one of the um, one of the best antioxidants is vitamin E, and those are really um, high in seeds, especially sunflower seeds, which contain about 50% of your daily vitamin E needs. And so those sunflower seeds will be the best source of this fat-soluble vitamin. But vitamin E is really important because it works as an antioxidant by protecting the fat in cell membranes from oxidative damage. So as people may know, your cells are surrounded by a fatty layer of various um, you know, fats and proteins that protect the, the cell from damage and from losing its internal contents. So the more vitamin E in the cell membrane, the better it's protected against oxidative damage. And polyphenols are also something found in some of these seeds, particularly in chia seeds, and those can also help reduce inflammation. Polyphenols is, are the compounds that are typically what people consider to be good in wine. So if you're eating lots of chia seeds, you'll be getting those polyphenols as well. And lastly, seeds like pumpkin, sunflower, flax, and chia are really good sources of fiber, and they contain about 5 to 10 grams of fiber per ounce. And this typically is a blend of both insoluble and soluble fiber, which both have different types of health benefits. However, the fiber in these seeds is generally more insoluble than soluble. So if you are someone that has any trouble eating high-fiber foods, say you have something like IBS or IBD or diverticulitis, you probably don't want to be eating a lot of seeds because high-insoluble high fiber foods can actually irritate the gut when the gut's already inflamed. But if you have a generally healthy digestion and you don't have an issue eating high-fiber foods, then eating a diet rich in both of these types of fiber can be beneficial for both um, cardiovascular health, gut health, a lot of different organs that, you know, it helps clear out uh, gut toxins and excess hormones that get secreted in the gut. So um, a, a moderately high fiber diet can actually be really healthy for a lot of people. So as you can see, there's a lot of potential benefits to eating whole fresh seeds on a regular basis. And I think one or two ounces total throughout the day is fine. And I'm, em I'm emphasizing whole fresh seeds because I don't think people should buy pre-ground seeds or seed oils. Glad you and mentioned this, this, Laura. I yeah. was going to say that if you didn't talk about this. Yeah, well, because these because these seeds have a higher amount of omega-3 fats, they're very prone to oxidation. So they should be kept in their whole form until you plan to eat them. And I also recommend storing seeds in the freezer until you're planning on eating them because this can actually help keep the omega-3 oil stable and pre prevent them from going rancid and thus getting oxidative damage. And if you do prefer to use them ground when you're adding them to food or putting them in your smoothies, you can buy a small coffee grinder and grind the seeds manually before you use them in your food. So, you know, you grind them within minutes of you eating them. And 
I also don't think anyone should be using seeds in any high temperature cooking since the seeds, uh, the heat can oxidize the fats in the seeds as well. So if you're going to eat seeds on a regular basis, try to eat them whole or freshly ground and eat them at cold to room temperature because this is the way you're gonna be getting the best benefits and the least damage from them. So if you're interested in eating seeds on a regular basis, that would be my recommendation for that. Awesome. Yeah, the only thing I would add here is just to consider um, soaking your nuts and seeds, I would say, um, and especially things like chia. Usually, you you know, people gel the chia seed, meaning they put it in water and it kind of absorbs the water and makes it this crazy looking gel thing, which is a really good idea just because it starts to kind of break down those um, things that can potentially kind of irritate the gut for some people. I think most people do fine, but it's certainly a good idea to sort of soak um, and dry the seeds before you go for them. Um, and I say this about chia specifically just because it's a little bit easier to do and you can, you don't have to dry it or anything and uh, subject it to heat. It's just, you know, you soak it in some water and just put it in your smoothie that way. And plus then you get a little bit of extra hydration, which is certainly not a bad thing either. Yeah, nowadays they have a lot of those chia seed pudding recipes. And yeah. it's funny, I was starting, you know, doing the research for this question and I was like, I have some chia in my in my frit freezer. I should uh, try that pudding thing. So now there's a little cup of almond milk and chia mixture in my fridge. Hopefully it's going to turn to pudding and not just, uh, you know, sloshy chia seeds. <laughs> yeah, I've never tried any of the puddings made with chia just because it sort of scares me a little bit, that texture. <laughs> Like in a, in a smoothie, you know, you don't really notice the chia, but like it's got this slippery kind of nasty texture. But granted, I've never tried it as a pudding. So you're going to have to fill us in next time about how that chia seed pudding went for you. Yeah, I, I really like weird textures. So I feel like <laughs> that's like my favorite thing is slimy weird things. So well, you are a strange human, but yeah. that is, that's good that you like, like those tapioca textures. tapioca pudding or something used to be my favorite type of pudding. Well, but... there you go. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, again, like the uh, the things like flax seeds or um, like I think pumpkin seeds are easier to soak and then dry, but yeah. something like flax seeds, you're probably just going to use right. pretty fresh. And I, I don't necessarily think flax seeds would have to be soaked. Right, probably, yeah, pumpkin and chia are the only things that necessarily would, you know, you would do that too, I think. Yeah, maybe sesame, or no, not even sesame, I'm not... You know, sesame and flax seeds are really small, so um, I think as long as you're doing the fresh grinding, it should be fine. And a lot of times you'll be adding them to liquid anyway, so if it's in a smoothie, you're kind of getting that liquid to help, you know... Break it down buff, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. buffer some of the, uh, the potential problems that might come from eating it, like, just straight, which I don't know if anyone would actually do, but you never know. Yeah, and again, just not, you know, eating a ton of these things is also a good, good idea, too. Um, and probably the things that you could soak, um, you know, you could probably get away with a little bit more of those and kind of go for less of the ones that you wouldn't necessarily soak, like flax. I right. think that's probably a good idea, too. Yeah, and um, if you're using them in recipes, then I think, you know, soaking them in in advance of using them in the recipe is a really good idea. Um, I know a lot of people will make those, like, paleo granola bars or something like that out of a mixture of nuts and seeds but um one thing I did mention the the heat issue it's hard to know how much heat it would take for something to get oxidized so if you're baking with these seeds in it just be careful about how much of that kind of stuff you're eating um you know I'd rather somebody sprinkle fresh 
ground seeds, you know, if they're, if they eat dairy or coconut yogurt, like eating it on that or putting it in a smoothie, um, as opposed to making like, I always see these recipes for like flax muffins that half, half of it's like flaxseed and the other half is whatever type of like whole grain flour. And I'm like, Oh, I don't think that that's very good to be baking at like 300 degrees. Or Agreed. Whatever, so. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, be careful, especially, you know, with nuts and seeds in general, just with the heat that you're subjecting them to, because like we said, you know, they're pretty, they're pretty vulnerable in terms of, um, their oxidation status. So just be careful. Right. Okay. So that's, all I wanted to say about seeds, are we ready to move on to the next question? Sounds good to me. Great. So this one's for you, Kelsey. There's a lot of talk in regard to exercise about minimum effective dose or how to achieve the best results with limited time. I would be really interested to hear you discuss the minimum effective dose of animal products. I think this would open up the paleo diet to a broader audience, including those who don't want to eat a lot of red or a lot of meat for various personal reasons, whether that be ethics, spirituality, environmental issues, or simply personal preferences. If you were to design a diet that is mostly vegetarian, so it includes dairy products and eggs, but adds just a few key animal products that fill in the gaps normally left by a vegetarian diet, what would be the five key animal products that you would add that would give the most bang for the buck and also be palatable for someone with more vegetarian sensibilities? So first, I want to thank whoever wrote this question because this is a fantastic question. Um, and I think they bring up a really great point, which is that there are a lot of people who just kind of, like this person says, have vegetarian sensibilities, you know, for whatever reason, ethical, um, spiritual um, all of those different reasons, they just decide to kind of go mostly vegetarian. And they're, yeah, or simply personal preferences, as this, this uh, listener mentioned also. Some people just don't really like the taste of meat. So I think this is really awesome to bring up because I think a lot of vegetarians get scared off from a paleo diet because they just see it as a very meat-centric diet. However, I think that someone who tends to lean toward a vegetarian diet can definitely get a lot out of going paleo, and I'd still recommend they go for it if they're willing to be open to some things which we'll discuss. I think it's absolutely possible to have a very healthy vegetarian diet if it's done right. So I'm actually going to talk about the six animal products that might appeal to a vegetarian um, that will give them the biggest bang for their buck, plus a bonus that's kind of an optional one that may not be be quite so um, appealing to a vegetarian, but it would certainly be a good option. All right, so if you're a vegetarian and you're willing to eat some fish or shellfish, that's an excellent way to get a lot of nutrition from a meat source. So not only does fatty fish contain a good dose of omega-3 fatty acids like EPA and DHA, which Laura, we were just kind of talking about in terms of nuts, you know, you don't get those long chain fatty acids that from like nuts and seeds where you'd get the ALA, but it's a little bit hard to convert that to EPA and DHA. Um, and Actually, that's um, that's one of the reasons why ALA is n not necessarily a great um, food to eat a lot of because right. it's ve it's very difficult to convert to omega three, and it can actually block utilization of DHA and EPA from other foods. So. That's something that I, I looked, Chris has a really good article about those fats and why fish is better than flax when it comes to omega-3, so we should probably link to that in the notes. Perfect. That's a great idea. Yeah, so this is a really great way to get the long-chain fatty acids like EPA and DHA, which of course you can't 
can't get a ton of from um, vegetarian sources. And it's also a really great source of high quality bioavailable protein. Um, and the problem with a lot of vegetarian protein sources is that they're high in anti-nutrients. So things like beans or soy or even nuts, you know, have some degree of anti-nutrients, which is why you're supposed to soak and sprout them if you can. So not that nuts are bad for you or properly prepared beans can't be well tolerated by some people, but I think that a lot of vegetarians suffer from digestive issues because they eat so many of these things that can cause some digestive problems. So if you're a vegetarian who's dealing with a digestive issue, adding some more bioavailable and easily digested protein like fish or shellfish is a really, really great idea. So along the same lines, um, most people do pretty well with eggs. So that's next on my list. A good source of protein, and it's got some amazing nutrients inside that yolk. Um, you're gonna get way more nutrition from a pasture-raised egg, so go for those if they're available to you versus just kind of the store-bought grocery, um, grocery eggs if they're not pasture-raised. There's gonna be more omega-3 fatty acids in that lovely yolk if it's pasture-raised, which we just talked about, um, how important those omega-3 fatty acids are. It's got a lot of choline, which is beneficial for the prevention of heart disease and protects the liver. Now, I don't think you need to be particularly concerned about eating too many eggs, certainly not from the cholesterol perspective. And Laura, we've talked about this issue on one of our Q&As for the Personal Paleo Launchpad. But I think for most people, you know, somewhere around four eggs a day is perfectly fine. So don't feel like you're eating too many if you're near that number. Um, especially as a vegetarian, eggs are a great source of, source of nutrients and protein, so don't shy away from them, provided that you tolerate them well. Next on my list would be grass-fed dairy, and especially fermented grass-fed dairy. So, so great for you, if your body tolerates it well. Now that's a big if for a lot of people, so you really need to determine if your body can handle it. Our recommendation is to take dairy out of your life for at least a month, you know, if it's already not out of your diet, and then add it back in to see if you have any adverse effects. If not, it's fantastic. You get conjugated linoleic acid, an ideal ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids, and more vitamin A and E plus beta carotene and vitamin K2 than its non-grass-fed counterpart. Add fermented to the picture here and you get more easily digested dairy product um, so that you know it's gonna be packed with probiotics and most people, especially if they have lactose intolerance um, to some degree, they're gonna have a lot easier time digesting a fermented dairy product than something that's unfermented. Now, raw milk is also a really good option if it's available to you, as the fragile milk proteins, they're not denatured and there are helpful enzymes still left intact. So in fact, some people who can't tolerate pasteurized dairy can sometimes tolerate raw dairy a lot more easily. So if you're someone who finds that they can't go for a pasteurized dairy product, um, you may want to seek out some raw dairy in your area and see how you do with that. And Chris has some great articles on raw dairy, um, so we'll, we'll link to those as well so you can take a look there. Number four would have to be bone broth. Now this is one of the most amazing nutritious substances out there. It's packed with glycine, which is fantastic for the gut. And you know, honestly, forget about vegetarians, I think everybody could benefit from adding bone broth to their routine. As I'm sure many of you know, our gut is so important to our overall health, so we really need to be taking care of it um, to protect our health in the, over the long term. So if you're not already making this stuff, it's definitely time to start. 
whether you're a vegetarian or not. Number five is gelatin. Now this is something that I usually recommend for vegetarians along with their bone broth. I usually will have them add it to their bone broth for a little extra protein. And of course this is wonderful for the gut as well as we just talked about. I use the Great Lakes brand, which is really excellent. Um, and they make a regular gelatin as well as a hydrolyzed collagen supplement, which means that it can mix into cold liquids. So I love using gelatin not only in broth for some extra gut healing properties and protein, but it's also great for making gummies or jello, of course, as long as you're making it, you know, with fresh fruit or maybe even um, some fresh fruit juice, if that's if that works for you. And the hydrolyzed version works really wonderfully in smoothies. Number six, and last but certainly not least, is cod liver oil. So this stuff has been important for years. Perhaps it's something you know you've heard your grandmother talk about. And it's a great food-based supplement that contains omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin A and D and K2. All of these are super important nutrients that might be missing from a vegetarian-based diet that help immunity and overall health. Now, I personally like the Green Pastures brand that combines it with high vitamin butter oil for extra nutrition. So of course this is more of a supplement, but it's definitely food-based, so I just wanted to make sure that I mentioned it because you know, especially for a vegetarian, some of these fat-soluble vitamins can be missing, as well as the, like we talked about, the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids. So this is a perfect supplement to kind of get all three of those, well, all three meaning the omega-3s, vitamin A, D, and I guess four, so K2 also. So it's a good way to get all four of those nutrients in your diet um, in one easy supplement. Now, my bonus is organ meats. So I know that I, the reason I hesitated to include this is because I think most people who are vegetarian inclined would likely steer clear from these. But if you're willing to give it a shot, it's absolutely worth including. Um, and particularly, it's a really great idea to include liver, which is basically just nature's multi, multivitamin. So if you wanna get really the best bang for your buck and eat some meat, organ meats are gonna be, and especially liver, is gonna be the way to go. Um, but all the other ones that I mentioned I think are more, more appealing to someone who's vegetarian and would likely, you know, they'd, they'd at least hopefully be willing to give it a shot. So, yeah, I think I think it depends on what the reason is for being a vegetarian, because if you're a vegetarian for, say, environmental reasons, you may say to yourself, OK, well, you know, liver once a week is a pretty low impact meat consumption right. or animal food consumption. So, you know, as opposed to eating meat every day, maybe that's OK for you. But if you're someone who just hates the flavor of red meat, I'm going to guess liver is not going to be something right. So if you don't already like red meat, liver is not going to be any better. Yeah, definitely. And that's a good point. So it definitely does matter where you are in the spectrum in terms of why you are leaning towards vegetarian. Um, and of course, organ meats are great if you can handle the flavor and texture and everything. Um, but for people who just straight up don't like meat, probably not going to be your first choice. And some of the other things I mentioned would probably be better for you. So, you know, those are the six foods plus a bonus that I would recommend for getting the most out of your animal sources if you tend to lean towards a vegetarian diet. And without those, I think you risk missing out on some of the really important fat-soluble vitamins, long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, and gut-healing proteins. And with all of them added in, you can certainly make a vegetarian diet really healthy just by being sure to get those, those foods in and getting those important nutrients. I don't personally think that eating 
uh, red meat or poultry is necessarily required for good health. I certainly think it, it can be helpful, but I don't think that, you know, I think people have this idea of paleo as being like a bunch of, you know, slabs of red meat on their plate and it's, it doesn't have to be in it. I honestly think it shouldn't be. I think, you know, if you're going to be eating a balanced paleo diet, that's really based on the way hunter gatherers would be eating. There's going to be a lot of plant foods. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, if, if you're eating carbs, it's going to have a lot of starchy tubers and starchy fruits and that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, the meat doesn't have to be a huge component of your diet. And if you're a vegetarian, if you're willing to eat fish, I think fish is a great source of, you know, the protein that you'd be getting from um, from meat and chicken and that kind of thing. But it's also got the benefit of having high levels of omega-3. And, you know, it's a little bit different than red meat, which does, you know, if it's, if it's pastured, it will have a little bit of omega-3, but it's not going to quite have those same benefits. So... Um, and the eggs, like you said, and, you know, eggs can be good for anyone and eggs are a little less, they're a good way to get animal foods in for vegetarians because you're not technically killing any animals to, to get it. And, um, same with the dairy products, you know, maybe find a local farmer that takes really good care of their animals and you might feel better about buying those products. Yeah. I think those are probably, you know, the best ways to kind of include animal products if you don't want to go to meat because, you know, obviously some vegetarians don't want to eat fish either. So that's a good point. You know, if you don't want to eat fish, go for the eggs and the grass-fed dairy. Like even between those two, you're going to be getting a lot of things that you might be missing out on otherwise. Right. And I think there's just a couple of nutrients that are really important to get from animal foods because of either the way humans convert them or just because of, um, you know, you, uh, nutrient absorption and that kind of thing. So... Omega-3s are one of the ones that we mentioned, and Chris has a whole article on using omega-3s from animals versus plants. And then vitamin A is another really important nutrient that um, I've seen research that shows that 50% of the population is unable to convert adequate amounts of beta-carotene into vitamin A to meet their needs, so that 50% of the population wouldn't get enough vitamin A from plants. And then, I mean, a lot of the minerals, like I was mentioning in the, in the seeds question, you can get those minerals from plant foods, but there are some animal foods that are really, really high in them. So something like shellfish has a ton of zinc. So zinc is one of those nutrients that gets bound by the, the anti-nutrients in plants. So, you know, you might be eating a, a zinc-rich plant food, but it might not be as easily absorbed as it would be from something like an oyster or beef liver, that kind of thing. So I think the vegetarian issue is not so much about protein. I think sometimes people focus on protein too much. I really personally think it's more about those particular nutrients that are difficult to get adequate amounts of from plants. Right. So the, the important things are those omega-3 fatty acids, the fat-soluble vitamins, particularly vitamin A. And I think, um, you know, the gut healing proteins are important. So like glycine, um, I think that's a really good one to get um, in the diet, no matter who you are. Right. Cool. I definitely agree with those seven. And, you know, maybe people can leave some comments in the comment section about what they would recommend. Or if you are vegetarian and you're listening, maybe you can share with us what kind of foods you include to help make your your paleo-inspired vegetarian diet a healthy one. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. 
Cool. Well, that's all we have for today. So thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll make sure to link to all the articles that we mentioned and maybe a couple of products that were mentioned just to help you uh, find those foods that you might want to add if you are doing a vegetarian diet. And we look forward to seeing you around next time. All right. Take care, Laura. All right. You too, Kelsey. Kelsey.